So here's the thing. We almost always see people at the end of their process. We see entrepreneurs and people who run businesses in the media because they've made it. We see singers and bands only when they've sold a certain amount of records or reach a certain level. The same is the case for theatre and arts. I left university with a dream of creating the next big thing in theatre, but in reality, I didn't have a clue where to start, who to talk to, or what to do next. Fast forward four years, and I'm the artistic director of my own theatre company, funded by the Arts Council and on the verge of our first big national commission, and that company is called Riptide. My day-to-day varies massively, like most freelancers, and this is the hardest thing to explain to people, but also one of the hardest things to give advice for. This podcast is simple. Every week, I'm going to share my personal diary with you. I want to give you an open source insight into what it's like to make work as an artist, as a director, what it's actually like. This is not scripted, as you can tell. uh, This is direct from my diary. And I have no agenda, I'm not selling anything. This is about being open and honest, about sharing my thoughts and opinions with you and anything else that's playing on my mind. This is the Director's Diary. I'm Alex Palmer. It's no one's intention ever to share a diary, so if you're listening to this, keep it close and use it well. Who is this for? This will change depending on the content, I think, There are bits specifically for those who've just started out, which people who have started might find boring, but I will try and flag these. I hope getting an insight, which you rarely do into other companies, is interesting and useful anyway. Uh, I hope to document our path and journey. Um, This is definitely not me saying how I think it should be done. Um, This is just my opinion and my specific journey, which I feel may be interesting and useful. If not, that's fine also. This is also a process for us to go through, and I think it's quite a useful tool to do anyway, to kind of document yourself as you go through a journey. Um, And I hope this is something that will remain useful for years to come. People five, ten years from now can look back and see where the Riptide team are, what they were thinking, what they were focusing on, how they were um, four years into their journey. Um, and I think that's a useful thing to do. So maybe it would be useful for me to talk a little bit about Riptide now in terms of who we are, what we do. So for people who haven't heard about our work can kind of get a, an impression of the type of director I am. Um, so Riptide are a, an immersive theatre company, although we don't use the word immersive. Um, so maybe we should scratch that and say that we are a site-specific, site-sympathetic um, theatre company who make work in kind of two main ways. We make work where we take over one venue, um, like an abandoned warehouse or an underground nightclub, and we create a world within inside it where uh, 100, 200 audience members at a time can come in and there will be people in there that are in on it. So um, our last piece was a... Our last piece in that sense was a piece called Swarm, which was a nightclub setting where the idea was that um, you didn't know who was part of the performance or who was another audience member. 
So it was kind of disorientating. We split audience members up from their friends and it was your journey through this nightclub with an unfolding narrative. You didn't realise whether the bar fight that happens at the bar is scripted or whether two audience members have fallen out. It was that kind of um, guerrilla performance. More more like the um, companies like Shunt or Punch Drunk in that sense. We also make work um, which is durational and often across the city. So um, a good example of that would be the Lucky Ones, which we are, we are still in development for. But we did run a, a Lucky Ones in March. And that is a kind of a couple of weeks long durational um, experience where you you go in on your own and you get a letter through the door that says from this moment forward your performance has begun and anyone you meet from now could be part of the show and you might get sent a location and a time and when you go there someone meets you or someone hands you a package and you open it and it's the next clue to where the next um, adventure is so in that sense it's uh, epic in scale it goes across the city and takes over secret locations but works um, pervasively so it works alongside your life and is kind of like a playing your own video game so you go to work as normal and you might be sent something in the post that arrives at work and to anyone else that looks like a normal interaction a normal envelope when you open it only you know the significance of that because you're in this narrative. So in the sense you're playing your own video game, it's a kind of a, an escape room kind of thing over, over a couple of weeks. Um, so that's kind of what kind of show we, we make. Me, myself, I've had a traditional theatre um, background kind of training. I went to the University of Exeter, so was trained as a to think in a conventional way um, but soon took interest in kind of trying to break the conventions of theatre so getting audience members outside that conventional space to try and get what happens when you get an audience into a, a derelict building for example and what happens when you put performance in that space what happens when a, a actor touches an audience member for me that creates magic in puts you as an audience member into the piece in a way that you don't get simply sat in a darkened auditorium just listening and looking. I think it's a bodily and fully sensual um, experience which goes beyond the traditional theatre. And that's not to say I don't like traditional theatre because that would be untrue. I think there's a lot of merit in traditional theatre when it's done well and I think for for us it's just about breaking boundaries and trying to see what theatre can be in other circumstances. Um, that's what really interests us. So yeah, that is in a nutshell, in a four and a half minute nutshell, what Riptide is. I will go into more depth and more specifics and more uh, more than just the highlight reel of what Riptide is in later chapters. But yes. Okay. So I thought I would start with the main question I get asked, how do you set up and what do I do next? And this is for students primarily, this is for people thinking about setting up a theatre company. And this is from my time mentoring 
students or recent graduates, this is one of the most frequent questions I get asked. Honestly, Riptide started in my bedroom, alone with no one to shout about it. And that is something that you don't get from... That is a, an insight that you don't get from many established companies. And I think that's how most companies start. It's over a couple of pints in a pub or it's, a, it's an idea that's floated between friends. And Riptide was the same. What really was important for me early on and what I would encourage anyone who is starting out to do is find your reason for wanting to make a company. So what is your why? I would advise anyone to go and read Start With Why by Simon Sinek. Um, this is a it's a great book for business as well as theatre. Um, but basically explains that why is more important than the what or the how. And I think that is really important for theatre companies especially so why why are you making your work what is important about the work that you want to make and it also tells you to really define the ask so what I mean by that is what specifically do you want to do so people say yeah I want to do it I want to start a theatre company but I always ask okay what what kind of theatre do you want to make they go okay well um I want to make verbatim theatre. Okay, so what... You know, they need to be more specific than that. So what exactly do you want to interrogate? Oh, I want to do war verbatim. Okay, so more specifically, what war do you want to look at? Or, or why do you want to look at war? What angle are you looking at? The other thing for me is finding the people that think in the same way as you and want to make that work with you and that's really important and, and choose those people carefully um, I think you also have to be a bit ruthless I know a lot of people who wanted to set up theatre companies after university or wanted to set up with friends but their friends weren't pulling their weight or it wasn't their friends passion to set up a theatre company they just were along for the ride and I really think you've got to choose who you're working with carefully Another thing is the name, and the name is important because you are stuck with it once once you make your name. There was a an interview with Mumford and Sons who wish, and he said that he wished that he hadn't created the name Mumford and Sons because it put him at the front, um, which I thought was quite interesting. Don't rush this either, and try and make it intrinsically about your practice. So. Great names are catchy, but they're also they also tell a little bit about the work before you've even seen it. So my favourite company names are companies like Shunt or Frantic Assembly or Punch Drunk, and even so, companies with those names you can tell a little bit about what their work is going to be like, and they're catchy, and you would remember them. And with Riptide, the theory behind the name is that our audiences enter riptides so or we create riptides for audiences and a riptide is something that is an invisible force that pulls you out to sea it's um maybe a bit dangerous it's it's invisible it's an invisible force and hopefully that is the feeling that we invoke when you go through one of our pieces either through across a city or in a lo in one location you, you might get pulled in a certain direction 
And the next thing I've got in my diary is the word network, and I've underlined it a couple of times, and this is a cliche, and people hate it, and I know that, and I hate it as well, but I think finding the, the people that you want to work with comes through networking, and it comes... And because I think with networking comes an element of trust and the more you get talking to someone, the more you realise whether they're aligned with your visions or not. So I think that's really important and that's exactly how we started. Okay, so I want to go into as much detail as possible in terms of how we started um, to give listeners a re- like a real insight. There's There are things out there already I know that are like, yeah, you need to get funding and you need to find your people which I've kind of gone into in that kind of vague way but this next section is about um, stripping bare that and trying to unpick okay exactly what we did Um, so when I say networking um, I was um, part of the young directors scheme at the Westwich Playhouse and there are loads of schemes out there for um, writers for designers for directors um, free schemes for you to be meeting people and that was probably one of the most important things and I got so much work for as a freelancer from those kind of meetings. From those meetings I met Amy Letman who is a great producer who now runs Transform Festival in Leeds um, but she helped me, I was midway through an Arts Council application and she looked at the application but also importantly helped us with our match funding. So for those who don't know, uh, an Arts Council grant, um, they won't just give you the money, you need to have some sort of match funding. And I always work with a ratio of about 10 to 20%. 20% is a good good way to start if you can get that. So if you're funding, if you're trying to ask for 10 grand, um, try to get two grand on top of that from somewhere else. For Arts Council, for the Arts Council, I think... It's a case of lowering the risk for them, so they're not the main benefactor of the, or the main funder for the work. Um, but I also think for them it shows that you have support from other areas, so it's a kind of a, um, you get that kind of validation from them, from another source. So when writing the Arts Council application, we went for the under 15k um, threshold, which was... Um, grants for the arts it's now something else but the, the bulk of it stays the same and we applied for ten and a half thousand um, and matched it with five from the city council um, and there's no right way of doing this people ask should I get the match funding first or should I get the arts council first I would say if you have the match funding already in place it makes the arts council so much easier to write the Arts Council won't release money usually if you can't show evidence of having that match in some way. Um, so there's no right way of doing it, but there's. I would advise people to try and find the match first so that you can go to the Arts Council and say, these guys are funding us this amount, will you put in this amount? And writing an Arts Council bid is really good, actually, because it gets you to think about how you would make the work. It gets you to think about what the work is and why it's important. Um, So it actually does a lot of the pre-thinking for you as you write it. Um, We knew, for example, we wanted to make a durational piece, which was a one-on-one through a city. Um, 
I'd, I've previously worked with Yumi Bum Bum Train and Punch Drunk on their one-on-one interactions. Um, so, and these those interactions are always three minutes long. So we were like, what happens when that is taken, when that is stretched over an hour? Um, and what happens when you have to travel across the city to experience these? Um, so it was kind of an experiment in that way. But in the funding bids, um, I quickly realised that it's a different style of writing. So you have to be really accessible and it's really good to use buzzwords. So, um, is it, And you have to also say why it's different and why this piece is important. Um, for us, it was about connection and seeing your city in a new light, for example. Um, but that might be, it's really important because we want to raise this issue because this is relevant now or we want to um, engage with this community. Um, and I think community is a really good buzzword to put in there. Like, who is this for? Who's going to come and see it? Um, a buzzword that I really like using and I think has um, framed our bids really well is the word legacy. And I know that Arts Council really like this word as well because it shows what impact your project will have after you've made the show. So what legacy does it leave? Um, this is something that I'm really interested anyway in, and think it's really important that you don't just make a piece and it disappears forever, that you engage with an audience and it has a lasting effect. I think that's really difficult to do and with time constraints and with money, there's there's only so much an artist or a company can do I think there are things that people can do to prolong that legacy. So, for example, we put some of our work online, free, accessible, um, on our website so that um, if you missed the show, you can experience it, or if you did experience the show, you can re-see it or re-listen to it. And I was living at home at this point, so I would not have been able to make the first show or create the company even without this first level of funding. And I think you what is not said about freelancers and what is not said in terms of really starting out is that I think a correct ratio or kind of realistic expectation is for every 10 things you put in, so whether that be job applications or whether that be funding bids, I reckon you can expect about one of these back with a yes. And I reckon half of those you won't even get an answer for. So and that's the kind of harsh reality that no one says about freelancing. It's really tough for the first couple of months. You might be, you might spend all your time doing funding bids, and you might get nothing back. But the point is that you only need that one thing to kickstart it all. So don't lose faith is the is the thing I've got underlined in my diary here. Don't lose faith early on, especially. So now you have that money how to start. There's no right answer here. Um, I wanted to meet as many people as possible and I didn't really have a good understanding of the acting scene in Leeds because I was new to the city. So I held um, an open call audition for, for actors and actors will come if there is money. So I wouldn't be worried about that at all. We had 150 applications for five places, just, just to put it in perspective. And for any actors listening, that is... The reality um, so when you get an audition just be realistic in terms of the the odds are very slim you will know this being an actor 
we started really small, which helped. Um, this also meant that we could pay people well and didn't overstretch, which is is and was important. I think paying artists well for work is something that I'm very passionate about. It's something that I think the industry can get better at in general. Um, we've recently joined ITC, it's the Independent Theatre Council, to help us with that. Um, and obviously it comes down to funding and, and who you're working with, but um, I think fundamentally artists should be paid well for the work they do. One question I get a lot is, um, what do I wish I had done more of when I was starting out? Which is a good question. And the first thing I've got here is documentation. Um, we didn't put a line in our budget for documentation in the first two shows. We struggled to document the work. And consequently, we have nothing or very little to show for the first shows that we did. Now we put 10% of every every budget into documentation um, so that we have footage and we have good photos, good quality photos to then show to um, to future commissions or to, to put into future bids. It adds to our portfolio, but it also importantly, it creates a standard of work. So I think the standard of documentation reflects the standard of work. Um, which is an odd kind of paradox because the show could be really rubbish, but if the photos look good, the, the thing's gone. So you don't know how good the show is. You only can see what's in front of you as a as a person with a pot of money. So I think it's really important. In, in hindsight, we should have done more of that. And also, I think we should have collected more feedback from audience. We were kind of oblivious and we're like, we were so glad the show was over that we didn't really want to know or care what people thought about it. We were just glad it was over. But I think feedback, in hindsight, is a cliche, but it will make the shows better. And one thing we've started doing is um, asking audience directly for feedback. Thank you so much for tuning in to Chapter 1 of The Director's Diary. Um, honestly, I didn't know how this was going to go. It's currently 1am on a Sunday morning. Um, I know that there's a lot more to talk about and in more detail. And my hope is to ask guests onto this podcast in the future to talk about their experiences as well. This is definitely not me saying how things should be, but it's it should feel more documentary in that sense of um, saying how we have done things from our point of view. Um I'm excited to reconvene with you here next Sunday and talk about what um, I've learnt this week and to discover new conclusions. Thank you for joining me. I'll see you next week.